Chapter seventy one of Varney the Vampire, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Varney the Vampire, Volume two, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter seventy one. The strange meeting at the hall between Mr. Chillingworth and the mysterious friend of Varney. When we praise our friend Mr. Chillingworth for not telling his wife where he was going, in pursuance of a caution and a discrimination so highly creditable to him, we are quite certain that he has no such excuse as regards the reader. Therefore we say at once that he had his own reasons now for taking up his abode at Bannerworth Hall for a time. These reasons seem to be all dependent upon the fact of having met the mysterious man at Sir Francis Varney's and although we perhaps would have hoped that the doctor might have communicated to Henry Bannerworth all that he knew and all that he surmised, yet have we no doubt that what he keeps to himself he has good reasons for so keeping, and that his actions as regards it are founded upon some very just conclusions. He has then made a determination to take possession of, and remain in, Bannerworth Hall according to the full and free leave which the admiral had given him to do so. What results he anticipated from so lonely and so secret a watch we cannot say, but probably they will soon exhibit themselves. It needed no sort of extraordinary discrimination for any one to feel at once that not the least good, in the way of an ambuscade, was likely to be effected by such persons as Admiral Bell or Jack Pringle. They were all very well when fighting should actually ensue, but they both were certainly remarkably and completely deficient in diplomatic skill, or in that sort of patience which should enable them at all to compete with the cunning, the skill, and the nice discrimination of such a man as Sir Francis Varney. If anything were to be done in that way, it was unquestionably to be done by someone alone, who, like the doctor, would and could remain profoundly quiet and await the issue of events, be they what they might, and probably remain a spy and attempt no overt act which should be of a hostile character. This unquestionably was the mode, and perhaps we should not be going too far when we say it was the only mode which could be with anything like safety relied upon, as one likely to lead really to a discovery of Sir Francis Varney's motives in making such determined exertions to get possession of Vannerworth Hall. That night was doomed to be a very eventful one indeed, for on it had Charles Holland been, by a sort of wild impulsive generosity of Sir Francis Varney, rescued from the miserable dungeon in which he had been confined, and on that night, too, he, whom we cannot otherwise describe than as the villain Marchdale, had been, in consequence of the evil that he himself meditated, and the crime with which he was quite willing to stain his soul, been condemned to occupy Charles's position. On that night, too, had the infuriated mob determined upon the destruction of Bannerworth Hall, and on that night was Mr. Chillingworth waiting with what patience he could exert, at the hall, for whatever in the chapter of accidents might turn up of an advantageous character to that family in whose welfare and fortunes he felt so friendly and so deep an interest. Let us look, then, at the worthy doctor as he keeps his solitary watch. He did not, as had been the case when the admiral shared the place with him in the hope of catching Varney on that memorable occasion when he caught only his boot, sit in a room with a light, and the means and appliances for making the night pass pleasantly away. But, on the contrary, he abandoned the house altogether, and took up a station in that summer-house which has been before mentioned as the scene of a remarkable interview between Flora Bannerworth and Varney the Vampire. 
Alone and in the dark, so that he could not be probably seen, he watched that one window of the chamber where the first appearance of the hideous vampire had taken place, and which seemed ever since to be the special object of his attack. By remaining from twilight and getting accustomed to the gradually increasing darkness of the place, no doubt the doctor was able to see well enough without the aid of any artificial light whether any one was in the place besides himself. Night after night, he said, will I watch here until I have succeeded in unraveling this mystery, for that there is some fearful and undreamt of mystery at the bottom of all these proceedings, I am well convinced. When he made such a determination as this, Dr. Chillingworth was not at all a likely man to break it, so there, looking like a modern statue in the arbor, he sat with his eyes fixed upon the balcony and the window of what used to be called Flora's room for some hours. The doctor was a contemplative man, and therefore he did not so acutely feel the loneliness of his position as many persons would have done. Moreover, he was decidedly not of a superstitious turn of mind, although certainly we cannot deny an imagination to him. However, if he really had harbored some strange fears and terrors, they would have been excusable, when we consider how many circumstances had combined to make it almost a matter of demonstration that Sir Francis Varney was something more than mortal. What quantities of subjects the doctor thought over during his vigil in that garden, it is hard to say. But never in his whole life, probably, had he such a glorious opportunity for the most undisturbed contemplation of subjects requiring deep thought to analyze than as he had then. At least he felt that since his marriage he had never been so thoroughly quiet and left so completely to himself. It is to be hoped that he succeeded in settling any medical points of a knotty character that might be hovering in his brain, and certain it is that he had become quite absorbed in an abstruse matter connected with physiology when his ears were startled and he was at once aroused to a full consciousness of where he was and why he had come there by the distant sound of a man's footstep. It was a footstep which seemed to be that of a person who scarcely thought it at all necessary to use any caution, and the doctor's heart leaped within him as in the lowest possible whisper he said to himself, I am successful, I am successful. It is believed now that the hall is deserted, and no doubt that is Sir Francis Varney come with confidence to carry out his object in so sedulously attacking it, be that object what it may. Elated with this idea, the doctor listened intently to the advancing footstep, which each moment sounded more clearly upon his ears. It was evidently approaching from the garden entrance toward the house, and he thought, by the occasional deadened sound of the person's feet, be he whom he might, that he could not see his way very well, and, consequently, frequently strayed from the path onto some of the numerous flower-beds which were in the way. "'Yes,' said the doctor exultingly, "'it must be Varney.' and now I have but to watch him, and not to resist him, for what good on earth is it to stop him in what he wishes to do, and, by such means, never wrest his secret from him? The only way is to let him go on, and that I will do most certainly. Now he heard the indistinct muttering of the voice of some one, so low that he could not catch what words were uttered, but he fancied that, in the deep tones, he recognized without any doubt the voice of Sir Francis Varney. It must be he, he said. It surely must be he. Who else would come here to disturb the solitude of an empty house? He comes, he comes. Now the doctor could see a figure emerge from behind some thick beeches, which had before obstructed his vision, and he looked scrutinizingly about, 
while some doubt stole slowly over his mind now as to whether it was the vampire or not. The height was in favor of the supposition that it was none other than Varney, but the figure looked so much stouter that Mr. Chillingworth felt a little staggered upon the subject, and unable wholly to make up his mind upon it. The pausing of this visitor, too, opposite that window where Sir Francis Varney had made his attempts, was another strong reason why the doctor was inclined to believe it must be him, and yet he could not quite make up his mind upon the subject, so as to speak with certainty. A very short time, however, indeed, must have sufficed to set such a question as that at rest, and patience seemed the only quality of mind necessary under those circumstances for Mr. Chillingworth to exert. The visitor continued gazing either at that window or at the whole front of the house for several minutes, and then he turned away from a contemplation of it, and walked slowly along, parallel with the windows of that dining-room, one of which had been broken so completely on the occasion of the admiral's attempt to take the vampire prisoner. The moment the stranger altered his position, from looking at the window, and commenced walking away from it, Mr. Chillingworth's mind was made up. It was not Varney. Of that he felt now most positively assured, and could have no doubt whatever upon the subject. The gate, the general air, the walk, all were different, and then arose the anxious question of who could it be that had intruded upon that lonely place, and what could be the object of any one else but Varney the vampire to do so. The stranger looked a powerful man, and walked with a firm tread, and, altogether, he was an opponent that, had the doctor been ever so belligerently inclined, it would have been the height of indiscretion for him to attempt to cope with. It was a very vexatious thing, too, for any one to come there at such a juncture, perhaps only from motives of curiosity, or possibly just to endeavor to commit some petty depredations upon the deserted building, if possible. And mostly heartily did the doctor wish that, in some way, he could scare away the intruder. The man walked along very slowly indeed, and seemed to be quite taking his time in making his observations of the building, and this was the more provoking, as it was getting late, and, if having projected a visit at all, it would surely soon be made, and then, when he found any one there, of course he would go. Amazed beyond expression, the doctor felt about on the ground at his feet, until he found a tolerably large stone, which he threw at the stranger with so good an aim, that it hit him a smart below on the back, which must have been anything but a pleasant surprise. That it was a surprise, and that, too, a most complete one, was evident from the start which the man gave, and then he uttered a furious oath and rubbed his back, as he glanced about him to endeavor to ascertain from whence the missile had come. I'll try him again with that, thought the doctor. It may succeed in scaring him away, and he stooped to search for another stone. It was well that he did so at that precise moment, for, before he rose again, he heard the sharp report of a pistol, and a crashing sound among some of the old woodwork of which the summer-house was composed, told him that a shot had there taken effect. Affairs were now getting much too serious, and, accordingly, Dr. Chillingworth thought that, rather than stay there to be made a target of, he would face the intruder. "'Hold! hold!' he cried. "'Who are you, and what do you mean by that?' "'Oh, somebody is there!' cried the man as he advanced. "'My friend, whoever you are, you were very foolish to throw a stone at me.' "'And, my friend, whoever you are,' replied the doctor, you were very spiteful to fire a pistol bullet at me in consequence. Not at all. But I say yes, for probably I can prove a right to be here, which you cannot. 
Ah, said the stranger, that voice, why, are you Dr. Chillingworth? I am, but I don't know you, said the doctor, as he emerged now from the summer-house, and confronted the stranger, who was within a few paces of the entrance to it. Then he started, as he added, Yes, I do know you, though. How in the name of heaven came you here, and what purpose have you in so coming? What purpose have you? Since we met at Barney's, I have been making some inquiries about this neighborhood, and learned strange things. That you may very easily do here, and, what is more extraordinary, strange things are, for the most part, I can assure you, quite true. The reader will, from what has been said, now readily recognize this man as Sir Francis Varney's mysterious visitor, to whom he gave, from some hidden cause or another, so large a sum of money, and between whom and Dr. Chillingworth a mutual recognition had taken place, on the occasion when Sir Francis Varney had, with such cool assurance, invited the Admiral to breakfast with him at his new abode. You, however, said the man, I have no doubt, are fully qualified to tell me of more than I have been able to learn from other people. And, first of all, let me ask you why you are here. Before I answer you that question or any other, said the doctor, let me beg of you to tell me truly, is Sir Francis Barney? The doctor whispered in the ear of the stranger some name, as if he feared, even there, in the silence of that garden, where everything conspired to convince him that he could not be overheard, to pronounce it in an audible tone. He is, said the other. You have no manner of doubt of it? Doubt? Certainly not. What doubt can I have? I know it for a positive certainty, and he knows, of course, that I do know it, and has purchased my silence pretty handsomely, although I must confess that nothing but my positive necessities would have induced me to make the large demands upon him that I have, and I hope soon to be able to release him altogether from them. The doctor shook his head repeatedly, as he said, I suspected it, I suspected it, do you know, from the first moment that I saw you there in his house, his face haunted me ever since, awfully haunted me, and yet, although I felt certain that I had once seen it under strange circumstances, I could not identify it with, but no matter, no matter, I am waiting here for him. Indeed. I that I am, and I flung a stone at you, not knowing you, with the hope that you would be, by such means, perhaps, scared away, and so leave the coast clear for him. Then you have an appointment with him? By no means, but he has made such repeated and determined attacks upon this house that the family who inhabited it were compelled to leave it, and I am here to watch him and ascertain what can possibly be his object. It is as I suspected then, muttered the man. Confound him! Now can I read, as if in a book, most clearly, the game that he is playing. Can you? cried the doctor energetically. Can you? What is it? Tell me, for that is the very thing I want to discover. You don't say so. It is indeed, and I assure you that it concerns the peace of a whole family to know it. You say you have made inquiries about this neighborhood, and, if you have done so, you have discovered how the family of the Bannerworths have been persecuted by Varney, and how, in particular, Flora Bannerworth, a beautiful and intelligent girl, has been most cruelly made to suffer. I have heard all that, and I dare say with many exaggerations. It would be difficult for any one to really exaggerate the horrors that have taken place in this house, so that any information which you can give respecting the motives of Varney will tend, probably, to restore peace to those who have been so cruelly persecuted, and be an act of kindness which I think not altogether inconsistent with your nature." You think so, and yet you know who I am. I do indeed, 
and what I am, why, if I were to go into the market-place of yon town and proclaim myself, would not all shun me, I, even the lowest and vilest, and yet you talk of an act of kindness not being altogether inconsistent with my nature. I do, because I know something more of you than many. There was a silence of some moments' duration, and then the stranger spoke in a tone of voice which looked as if he were struggling with some emotion. Sir, you do know more of me than many. You know what I have been, and you know how I left an occupation which would have made me loathed. But you, even you, do not know what made me take to so terrible a trade. I do not. Would it suit you for me now to tell you? Will you first promise me that you will do all you can for this persecuted family of the Bannerworths, in whom I take so strange an interest? I will, I promise you that freely. Of my own knowledge, of course, I can say but little concerning them, but, upon that warranting, I well believe they deserve abundant sympathy, and from me they shall have it. A thousand thanks! With your assistance I have little doubt of being able to extricate them from the tangled web of dreadful incidents which has turned them from their home. And now, whatever you may choose to tell me of the cause which drove you to be what you became, I shall listen to with abundant interest. Only let me beseech you to come into this summer-house and to talk low. I will, and you can pursue your watch at the same time, while I beguile its weariness. Be it so. You knew me years ago, when I had all the chances in the world of becoming respectable and respected. I did, indeed, and you may, therefore, judge of my surprise when, some years since, being in the metropolis, I met you and you shunned my company. Yes, but, at last, you found out why it was that I shunned your company. I did. You yourself told me once that I met you and would not leave you, but insisted upon your dining with me. Then you told me, when you found out that I could take no other course whatever, that you were no other than the... the... Out with it! I can bear to hear it now better than I could then. I told you that I was the common hangman of London. You did, I must confess, to my most intense surprise. Yes, and yet you kept to me, and, but that I respected you too much to allow you to do so, you would, from old associations, have countenanced me. But I could not, and I would not, let you do so. I told you then that, although I held the terrible office, that I had not been yet called upon to perform its loathsome functions. Soon, soon, come the first effort, it was the last. Indeed, you left the dreadful trade? I did, I did. But what I want to tell you, for I could not then, was why I went ever into it. The wounds my heart had received were then too fresh to allow me to speak of them, but I will tell you now. The story is a brief one, Mr. Chillingworth. I pray you be seated. End of chapter 71